I'm DJ TLM, and this is Share the Knowledge. Today's podcast is brought to you by Banzoogle. One, two, one, two, what's going on? Welcome to episode 60. Yes, you heard it right, 60 of the Share the Knowledge podcast. I'm DJ TLM, and this is my podcast for DJs, Q&A show where I try to answer as many questions as I can. I also share some of my stories, some of my experiences, anything I can do to add some value to the DJ community. And the first question is from DJ QS, and the question is, how about dealing with a DJ partner and that person does not want to change to make the brand better, learn new routines, practicing, etc. Have you dealt with someone like that? Uh, the person is a friend, but then realize you do better solo. How did you handle that if that happened to you earlier in your career? Well, most of my DJ career has definitely been a solo career, but uh, a big chunk of it also involved me being part of a DJ team. So during that time, I was doing solo gigs, but I was also doing a lot of gigs with a DJ from the Netherlands called DJ Mani, and we were known as the Major League DJ team. We were basically one of the first DJ teams here in the Netherlands. Not saying other DJs weren't playing together, but we were really operating as a team when we played. So if you booked us to come play, it would be the two of us, behind one set and not like you see a lot of the DJs new do nowadays where one is just twisting some knobs while the other one is uh, looking for songs, something like that. Not knocking that, but that's definitely not what we did. We would do back-to-back sets, one hour, two hour, five hours, whatever. And that would be sometimes like track for track or sometimes it would be that I would have like two or three tracks in a row and then he would jump in and anytime one of us was DJing, the other one was holding the mic and was hosting the set. So we were really operating as that team and both of us were DJing and MCing and it really worked well because it was clear that we were on the same wavelength. Now, mind you, we did come from a little bit different different musical backgrounds, so to say. So we both loved hip hop and R&B but it's fair to say that he was more from the R&B and dancehall side and also liked hip hop. And I was definitely more from the hip hop side and also liked R&B and dancehall. So we just connected well. We felt the same way about the, the, the craft, the art. We were both skilled DJs. I can, it's fair to say that, I can say that. He's a very good DJ as well. So it just really worked out. We both had a passion for the music. We both love finding new tracks, break new songs. So it worked out well. Now I've played back to back with a lot of DJs and most of the times it was okay or it didn't click at all. And in that case, it's cool for one night and it might be fun or it might be a little bit less fun. But if it clicks like it did with us, then you can do shows upon shows upon shows and a lot of times I would play a track and he would be looking for a next track. I would be looking for a next track and we would like simultaneously come out with the same record like, oh damn, I was gonna play that too. So you could really feel that we were, like I said, on that same wavelength. So we had similar ideas, I think, to when it comes to promoting ourselves. We would do a lot of our own parties. Uh, so we would come up with a concept, both of us do like flyer design and that just really worked so i can't say that i experienced it as to 
where I would really want to do one thing and he was totally not with it or I wanted to try something new and he wouldn't. That was never the case. But if that happens and if you find out that you're no longer on that same wavelength or you feel that there's a lot of opportunities for you to enhance the brand, enhance your situation, but your partner is not with it, in that case, that person is holding you back. So you really have to evaluate like, okay, how important is this to me? Is this something I really want to do with this person? Then I'm going to spend extra time to try to convince that person or see that person's point of view, see if there's anything to it because empathy is important. You want to make sure that you do understand someone else's thought process. But if you feel that this is what needs to be done and the other person is not with it, that might be a clear signal that it's time for you to move on and venture out to do solo things. Now, you could do both. Like I said, during the time that I was doing the DJ team thing, we were both getting our solo bookings as well. I was DJ TLM before Major League and I was DJ TLM after Major League, but I was also DJ TLM during Major League. So same for him. He was getting bookings, I was getting bookings, and we were getting bookings as that DJ team. So maybe you can still play with this partner as well. I don't know your exact situation. So is it also under one name? Is it like a team name? Um, it, it, it depends. Are you only playing together now or are you also doing solo bookings? Uh, those are things to look at, but you definitely don't want to have someone else's vision hold you back from something you feel is clearly your path. So you're going to have to evaluate and make some decisions when it comes to that. All right. Like that question though. Shout out DJQS. I have a question from Steven and the question is when DJing or making demos, should you stay with one type of sound quality? Meaning I have tracks that are waved then you have 320 MP3s and vinyl that I burnt into Serato or does it not really matter? Well, if you're using these different formats, but the quality is up to par with all of them. So if your vinyl rips sound good, and if you're ripping them, you can also uh, choose what type of format you're saving them as. But if you have WAV files and you have MP3 at three, uh, 320, yes, there's a difference. Yes, the wave is better quality, but that doesn't mean that you couldn't do uh, a mix with both types of files. The only thing is, your, your end file, once you have your mix and you save it, you could save that as a wave, but you have to keep in mind that not all the tracks in that mix are that wave quality. So even if you save as wave at the end, your mix quality won't be wave. The max your mix will basically be is at that MP3 320 level, which is perfectly fine, especially if you're gonna upload a mix, you're going to be bringing that down anyway. Most sites aren't even taking wave format. Now that's not true. Some will, but uh, the stream, when people listen to it, that's not wave anymore. So even like with SoundCloud, you can upload wave, but when people are listening back to that mix, they're not listening to wave. Uh, I don't know the quality they use to stream, but the quality is lower. They were streaming wave. It would take up so much uh, broadband, so much of the uh, data. They're not doing that. But, um, no, it doesn't. I, I, I think in this case, your ears are important. 
you see your files, you hear your files, so you have to decide if something sounds good enough. That's what I used to do. I mean, I remember when I used to download stuff through uh, blogs and different type of sites, sometimes they would advertise something or promote something as like a high quality file and it would say 320. You would listen to it and it would be perfectly clear that that was not a 320. That was not even like a 192. That was like a 160 or lower. So in that case, I chose not to use that song for the mix because in that case, you can tell the difference. If half of your files are high quality and the rest of the files are just low, yeah, that's that's not good for your mix. That's gonna just lower the quality of your entire mix. But you can definitely use Wave and 320 in that same mix. That's not an issue, in my opinion. If you feel differently about it, let me know in the comment section down below. So I see a question here and that question is from DJ Hope and the question is show us the different ways to remix music. Well showing is going to be a little bit difficult because this is a podcast and even if you're watching uh, a video clip of the podcast on YouTube, uh, I'm not using a setup right here so I can't really show you. But if we're talking about remixing, I think it depends on what type of remixes you're talking about. What do you define to be a remix because some people will call doing a live mashup, a remix, which you could call it. So taking an acapella and an existing instrumental, putting them together. So you're creating a different version of that song. So you're kind of remixing live, doing a mashup live. Or are we talking about actually producing a remix where you're gonna be producing new music, original music to go with an acapella to create a new version of that song. That is what a remix used to be you would have the original version and a lot of times they would get a different producer to produce alternate versions of the same track or sometimes you would have like three remixes from three different producers if you are older hip-hop head you remember the time when you would get tracks and they would have like the Pete Rock remix on there or the DJ Premier remix and that was a thing so a different producer would come in or sometimes the same producer would produce two totally different sounding pieces of music for that same song um i don't know what else to say about different ways to remix music but you could do live mashups you could do uh, like i said create a new track you could probably also consider like making a remix live if you're incorporating instruments or at least like a MIDI controller or drum machine. So for instance, if I take machine, Native Instruments machine, and I would connect that as well during my set, I could take an acapella, know the BPM, and create a live sequence with machine or drum live with machine and create a beat that goes over that acapella. That's also a way you could remix. So you have a couple of different options there. The simplest being a live mashup where you just take that existing instrumental, you make sure it's playing at the same BPM as that acapella, and you let them play together. That's it. The next question is from DJ Washington, if I'm saying it right. And the question is, is it possible for a DJ to please everyone by accepting all music requests? How can I manage my playlist? Some club patrons want particular songs to be played several times and it's very boring. All right, you can never please 
everyone. Just keep that in mind. You can never please everyone. Even if it's going to be 99.9% .9 of the crowd, there's going to be one person in there that's going to still dislike what you're doing. That could be, uh, have multiple reasons. It could be your song selection. There's always going to be one person, a lot of times it's going to be more, but there's always going to be one person that doesn't like the tracks that you're playing. Even if it's just a couple of the tracks that you're playing, no one, it's, it's never going to happen that the entire crowd likes every single song that you play. So song selection, that is one reason why. Now, maybe you're a DJ who likes to mix in a certain way and some people might not like that. So even if it's correct, they don't like your style of mixing, the way you use your EQ, whatever. Maybe you scratch too much for certain DJs or you uh, for, for the crowd, or you do not scratch enough for certain people in the crowd. It's always gonna be something, so you should never really worry about that. You read the crowd, you try to get the majority of that crowd going, and if you have a dance floor filled with people dancing, then you achieved your goal. But you're not gonna please everyone. Even if you take every request you receive, some people are gonna request songs that other people in the crowd will not like. So at that moment, you're not pleasing everyone either. So you should never really worry about that. Now, the other thing is you talk about patrons that wanna hear particular songs uh, several times. Now. This is personal, you have to decide what you do. I have a rule, and that rule is I play songs once. With a couple of exceptions, but for the most part, I will play songs once. If a song is brand new, so it just came out, I think it's an absolute banger. I played it for the crowd once, they were feeling it. I might bring that song back later just because it's brand new. I want to hear it again. I want to make sure that the crowd really feels that song. I want to try to break that song. I might play it again. Doesn't happen a lot, but that could be one reason why I would do something like that. Now, another reason would be if I'm playing at a private event and a person who booked me. So let's say it's a birthday party or it's a wedding. And I don't do a lot of these bookings, but if you're playing at a party like that, and let's say that the bride or the, the birthday girl or guy wants to hear a specific song that you already played. In that case, I would say it's your party, bang, play it again. If they wanna hear it one more time, I'll give it to them again. That's their party, they booked me, I'm willing to do that. Now, of course, if I feel that it's gonna kill the vibe, I might suggest like, shall I play that at the end because I already just played it and whatever, but in most cases, I would probably just say, sure, that's their party. I'm talking about private parties and that's the client booking you. I don't really have a problem with them, but if I'm playing in a normal club setting or a festival, catching me play tracks twice, it's not really gonna happen that often. So I wanna take this time out to thank the sponsor of today's episode, Banzoogle. And if you're not familiar with Banzoogle, they offer a great service to help you build your website. Now you might have a presence on social media and that's all cool, but in my opinion, it's still very important to also have that one central place where people can find 
all of your information. So you can use Banzoogle to build your website. You can use it to build your email list to sell your merch commission free, also very important. And I like the fact that Banzoogle is made for musicians by musicians. Now they have a lot of templates that you can pick from and it's really easy to build your site with a drag and drop site builder. I built sharethenowledgepodcast.com in about 15 to 20 minutes. So you can check that out. That was done in no time. And I don't have to worry about doing any of the updates for the plugins or anything that you have to do if you build your site with a service like WordPress, for instance. You don't have that with Banzoogle. So if you want to go check that out, they have a 30-day free offer. You can check the link in the description box down below. And if you think that this is something you want to continue to use, make sure you use the code SHARE and you will get 15% off your first year. Okay, I see a cool question over here. And the question starts with this. I remember you started from the community center and held it down for a whole year without pay. My question is this. When is the right time to move on from these types of situations? I'm not in this situation, but I've experienced it and feel it will help other DJs. Salute. Salute to you. Um, All right, to just rectify a little bit, I started out like my first public gigs were at the local uh, community center, uh, but those were actually paid gigs. That was just enough money to go buy one new album the next day, but I was getting paid. But around that same time, I found uh, a, a bar slash club where I got to do a weekly gig during their jam session night where they would have artists come in. They would have a band play, mostly like um, soul funk R&B type of vibes and they would have singers and I would DJ before, in between and after the sets from the band. That I did for a year for free, best experience of my life because it taught me a lot about playing outside of my comfort zone, having to do the thing that I needed to do with my limited crates because at that time, my crates were still a little bit limited. They were mostly hip-hop when the crowd that was coming in was not really a hip-hop crowd. Luckily, it was related because they liked hip-hop. They liked soul, funk, R&B. So they were into black music and I had enough hip-hop in my crates that was danceable, quote-unquote danceable, that had like the funky or R&B-ish vibes to it, it taught me so much. Now, of course, over the time, I was also buying more of the soul, jazz, funk, and everything from secondhand stores. I was buying some new R&B as well. I was expanding my crates, but that taught me a lot. So I was also doing some paid gigs while I was DJing at that other spot for free for a year. Um, again, I've said this on multiple occasions in multiple videos. I feel, especially for a beginning DJ, experience is way more important than the monetary gains that you might get from gigs. So money is definitely not the main factor when you're starting out. You should be all about getting to play gigs, experiencing to play in front of people, reading the crowd. You learn all that from playing. So I was happy with that spot. I actually don't remember if it came down to a conscious decision of not doing that gig anymore or if that gig just stopped because they stopped with the jam session. I'm not really sure. I maintained to have a relationship with that owner and I did a couple other gigs there. But to my memory, to my best uh, memory, I think that 
night just ended and that basically ended my gig there. Now, I have been in situations where I was not being paid enough or where I had to make a decision that it was time for me to um, increase my fee. But let's just say, hypothetically, if I was playing at that spot for a year and it didn't stop, so it continued, I might have continued to do that for maybe even six more months. I'm not sure. I was having the time of my life. I was not getting that many other gigs and I wanted to play as much as I could play. So maybe I would have done it for six more months. Maybe I would have done it for a year more. I can't really say, but I know at a certain point, just like with certain gigs that I felt like now is the time for me to make more money, ask more. I know I would have had that feeling. Maybe I was doing so many paid gigs that it was cutting into my time to still do that free gig. But something inside of me would have told me like, okay, maybe it's time to move on from this or just tell the owner, like, I love doing this gig, but I can't continue to do it for free and see how the owner reacts. If the owner is not willing to pay you after like one or two years of loyalty, which is all is also the case, then that's a clear signal that it might be time to move on as well. I, I want to stick with this topic for a second because... I think I received a question in my DMs that was also about the same topic. Yes. So I'm going to relate this question right now. And the question in the DMs from Jay was, how do you know when to increase your fee? Recently, my bookings have started to grow off the charts and I'm contemplating a raise in my charge. How do you know when it's an appropriate time and should I raise the fee for a residency I've had for over a year? So this really fits into the narrative. So he's had a gig for over a year. Now that's a paid gig. It's not free, but he feels it's time for a raise. Like I said, at a certain point, I would have felt with that free gig that I should move on or at least start to get paid. In this case, you might be getting paid for a gig, a residency, but you feel at a certain point that it's time for more. I feel you should definitely go with that feeling, but you should make sure you communicate it in the right way, especially if it's something where you have a residency. It's not something you really want to mess up, but you have to be honest with yourself as well. If you know that you're just not getting paid enough, then you should be getting paid more, especially if you've been doing it for a long time. You're doing the job well. People are coming in. People like what you do. You're getting a lot of other gigs. That's what you're saying. Like your bookings have been growing off the charts. That's that means that you're in demand. It's all about supply and demand. You're in demand. You're getting those bookings. So at a certain point, you need to just raise your fee, especially if you're getting so many bookings right now. That's a clear indication that you're wanted. So that means that you could go up. Now, how much you go up, that's not for me to say. That's real hard, especially in the beginning. It was really difficult for me to even know how much I should charge but especially when I wanted to ask more, I had to really think about like how much more should I be charging? So I guess you can take a look at a couple of different things like what is your cost for doing gigs? Are you buying a lot of music? Do you have to uh, um, pay a lot for transportation, stuff like that? And uh, time as well. I mean, this is different for everyone. Some people just want to do as many gigs as they can. I see a lot of people here also in Amsterdam who have that strategy. They'll do like three gigs or four gigs in a night. And I know from sources 
in the scene that they're not really getting paid a lot for those gigs. Um, look, in the beginning, I would probably do the same thing because I just wanted to play as much as I could. Now I would definitely not because I don't really care for those gigs where you run in, you play for an hour, you have no idea what the vibe in that place is, you just play for an hour and then you're out. Off to the next gig where you come in and five minutes after you come in, you have to play for an hour. It's autopilot, no attention to the vibe at all. You just play the hits and be out. That's what I see a lot of people do. I'd rather play one gig that night uh, for more than they're getting for one gig. Now, mind you, they'll make more in that one night that I make because they're doing four lower paid gigs, but those four lower paid gigs will add up. Uh, but I would prefer to do that one gig, have fun, really be into that vibe, and still make enough money. Um, look, this is all about feeling. This is going to be different for everyone. I know people who've been playing for like 20 years, and they're still doing like the four gigs a night for a low fee. I, like I said, I can't continue to do that. That doesn't feel right for me um, mentally, physically, um, ethically. I don't, I don't like that. So that's not for me. But uh, like, like I said, supply and demand. If you're getting all these bookings, that means that you can definitely go up in price right now. Uh, taking it back to the original question where we were, at a certain point, you have to decide if you want to continue to play for free or if you feel that you've earned your stripes, you've paid your dues, your time is just valuable because you can also do paid gigs now your career hopefully is evolving and um, getting better. So yeah, it's definitely time for that. So I want to add one more story to this topic. This is also personal, so I'm not saying that this is what you should do, but this is what I did. This is what felt right for me. Back in the days, I was resident DJ at a party in a different city here in the Netherlands. I played there for years. Now, at a certain point, that event just stopped. So it wasn't that they stopped booking me. The event just stopped. So it was out of my control. That happens. Not every party or every club lasts forever. Actually, a lot of parties and clubs don't last longer than five years. But years later, that's a couple of years ago now, that party came back in sort of a reunion concept and what it was is two times a year the original lineup from that party from back in the days would play so it would have the same name but just reunion added to it taking people back to what we did back then and we attracted a portion of the people that used to come and because it was years later we would also get a new generation of people from that city come in but it was very successful now when the original um, promoter approached me. He was also one of the DJs. He asked me if I wanted to do this party again, reunion style, two times a year. I was like, I'm totally with it. He also told me, like, we're starting on a pretty low budget, but I don't know if you're down. I was like, I'm down. With certain parties, money is definitely not the first thing on my mind. I just feel that this is right. This is fun. I want to do it. Let's go. Now, the pay wasn't horrible, but it definitely was lower than I was getting for other gigs. But it was a lot of fun. Now, we attracted a lot of people, and basically every edition was sold out. Now, we were doing this at the original venue that could hold up to, I think, like maybe 800 people max, two rooms. We were playing the big room, and they had a small room that could fit like 200, 250. So we would have like five, 600 people. 
at a certain point, the whole venue was going to move into their new uh, location. This was like a bigger location, everything brand new, high tech, so lovely. And our party would still continue. This place could hold up to, I think, 1,200 people. Main room where we played at least 1,000, 1,100, maybe 12. I'm not sure. Something like that. Now, we were still selling that out. Weeks in advance, it will be sold out. So attracting like at least 11, 1,200 people every time. Not two times a year, so it's not that often. But still, every time we did it, packed. Now, the lineup was three DJs and MC for the entire night. And production cost was at a minimal because they didn't have to do a lot to make that room look right. So we don't have to do the math, but they were making plenty of money. Now, not the promoter, the DJ who used to book me. This was done. Uh, he was doing it in collaboration with the actual venue. So the venue was definitely picking up most of the revenue. After, I think, three or four editions at the new venue, I felt that it was no longer, um, I could no longer accept to play for that same low fee that I started for because this party was successful. They were definitely making enough money. Mind you, we moved into a spot like almost twice the size, still selling it out. I think it makes perfect sense that you start paying me at least my normal fee or actually some more because we had a successful thing going on here. So I had a conversation with the person in charge of the finances. That was not the person who originally booked me. And this person just blatantly told me, nah, this is fine. What you're getting right now is fine. When I can tell you that that was not fine, I was getting close to that same amount to play one hour here in Amsterdam. And for this party, I had to go to another city, drive for an hour, hour and a half, and I would do an all-nighter with those other DJs. So no, that price was not right. I had to make a decision right then and there. Am I going to continue to do this because I do like the party, we have a history, or am I gonna stick to my guns and just say, okay, then I can't continue to play here. Now, I did the latter. I just told him like, hey, if that is how you feel about this, and the person who was in control of the finances was also a DJ, that's why I definitely felt uh, a bit salty about this because as DJs, and this DJ was playing at least 20 years as well, so we as DJs know how many times we have to deal with promoters that don't want to pay us what we should earn. So to have this come from a DJ telling me that I'm making plenty when it's definitely not the case. I just had to say, okay, that's it. Guess I have to stop. So that means now I have one less gig, two times a year, but still one less gig where I was a resident. Um, and one gig that I enjoy doing that I can't do anymore. But I had to make that decision like this is just not right. This is not just so I cannot do this anymore. I can't justify playing for that amount and after taxes i make a couple of bucks because i also had at the time had to rent a car to go to that city nah can't do that anymore so i had to stop 
So you have to evaluate and decide what is right, what is wrong. And I'm definitely a person who's not in it for the money. I'm down to sacrifice a little bit of my cut to uh, make a party successful or to help out a fellow DJ who's organizing a party. But at a certain point, and that might be sooner for you than it was for me, it might be later for you than it was for me, at a certain point, you will have to think, is this still okay? Or am I not okay with this anymore? So very personal. You really have to decide for yourself. Uh, but I hope this helps you out. So Callisto Sound has a question. And the question is, is using Spotify in DJ Pro an alternative to a DJ pool? Um, yeah, it could be. It could be. So for those listening who are not familiar, DJ Pro is software by Algorithm. And they have integrated Spotify functionality. So if you have a Spotify premium account, which will cost you like 10 a month, uh, you can use all the music from Spotify in the DJ Pro software. Now that works if you use the iOS app or if you use the Pro version for the laptop, for the computer. And I've used that for several parties when I was playing for kids. And those kids like a lot of songs that I don't have, don't like, don't want in my collection, but everything is on Spotify. So for gigs like that, for me, it was perfect because it made sure I did not have to deal with the stress of looking for all of the songs that kids might like. Now, mind you, I'm talking about kids four to 12. So young kids, not 16, 17, you know what they like to hear. I'm talking four to 12. So Spotify was the perfect solution. I just had the DJ Pro software. I had a controller and they would come up with requests. And in your DJ software, you just click on the Spotify tab and you have your search box, Spotify search box in the DJ software. And you know, if you search on Spotify, chances that you find a song are extremely high. And I found basically everything they asked for. And that was ranging from all sorts of genres, the children's music, and it was all there. So yes, it is definitely an alternative, but you do have to keep in mind, you don't have that music. It is on Spotify. So you will always need to have that internet connection. And uh, it's not like you can take the music, take it from one computer to the other. It's on Spotify. With a DJ pool, you are downloading that music. It is now yours. You can have it, you can move it, you can have it on several computers without having an internet connection. Uh, use it in all different DJ software. So if you're gonna go with this option, that option will only work in Algorithm DJ Pro. So you will need to use uh, DJ Pro for all your gigs. So if that's what you're planning to do, you might not need a DJ pool, but DJ pools will offer remixes that might not end up on Spotify. You will have edits where you have the special intro versions, acapellas, instrumentals. A lot of that stuff will not be available through Spotify. So it also depends on what type of tracks you're looking for. And if you're interested in having those edited versions, transition versions, all of that. That's not on Spotify. That is what you find in DJ pools. So keep that in mind when you're making this decision or like me, you just do both. I pay for DJ pools and I have algorithm DJ and I have a Spotify premium account. So for certain gigs, I will definitely bring DJ and play with that because like I said, for gigs like that with the kids, perfect solution. Uh, same person, also Callisto, 
He wanted to know how the hell do you DJ as a duo? It seems like such a solo task. What do you do? Take turns. Well, like I said, it really depends on the DJ you're playing with. If you guys or girls are on that same wavelength, then it could be a very cool experience because you both share a similar passion for the same type of music, but you might just both have a little bit of a different taste which might really add on to each other, or you have the exact same taste, so every track the other DJ grabs is a track that you would grab as well and like as well. And you could go back to back. It could be one track, one track. It could be two track, two track. It could be freestyle, two, one, one, three, whatever comes to mind. If you got that vibe going, then it becomes a totally free experience in my experience. That's how we did it. You also have DJ teams now that will prepare their entire set. They both know exactly what's going to happen, when it needs to happen, happen, which button needs to be pressed at a certain point. And one will hold knobs, the other one will press buttons. That's also a way to do it. Definitely not a way I like to play because I still want to have that individual freedom within that duo performance. And that's what we had when we did the back-to-back -back type of style of playing. So I hope that clears it up. So one question from DJ Eat, I guess that's the name, or yet, not sure. Uh, the question is, I did an event last year in Iceland on my own dime, which went pretty good. They are doing the event again this year, but they were unable to book me due to their budget. I was not the headliner DJ. I wanted to volunteer my services again at my own cost, but is it worth it? I did not really gain much other than a few extra friends on Facebook from last year. Well, you're basically answering your own question if you look at it from a certain perspective. So if your objective is to like gain some possible new bookings by doing this one for free, and last year taught you that it really didn't result in anything more than a little bit of fun and a couple of new friends on Facebook, then in that case, it's not worth it. Now, I don't know where you're coming from, so I don't know how much you have to invest to go there. If we're talking about a hundred bucks to go over there, play a set, have fun, then maybe for you that is enough. You make sure you have a camera there. If you're not from Iceland, you can consider this an international gig. If you film some footage, you have footage of another international gig, that might help you out. I don't know how you used that first time you played there. Did you film it? Is there footage? Did you package it in a way online that people can see, yo, he's playing overseas? Uh, I don't know. So, like I said, if it's all with a certain objective and last year taught you that that objective was not reached, you have to make sure that you evaluate if you took full advantage of the gig last year or not. If not, then maybe you can use this year as a test case, go again, but now this time make sure you film it, uh, uh, get that footage and use it and see if it maybe helps then. Or if you feel like, now nah, it's not gonna do anything more than a couple of Facebook friends and I wanna just gain more than that, then you already have your answer, then you shouldn't do it. So you really have to consider 
why you would go and do this. So that's it for episode 60 of the Share the Knowledge podcast. I want to thank you for tuning in. Like I said, the holiday season is basically over. So starting next week, I'll be back to just dropping a new episode every Monday. I want to thank the sponsor of today's episode, Banzugo, once again. Thanks for the continued support. And make sure you check me out on YouTube. DJ TLM TV is the channel. Check me out on social anywhere. The handle is DJ TLM. And all the links, all the goodness will be in the description box down below. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss it. And uh, I'll see you next week. Peace.